There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crises. And we have a wonderful guest today. Bill Carmody is a master of marketing and sales and an exceptional coach. He is a maker of millionaires and is committed to helping more than a million people reach total financial freedom. Bill's experience has included entrepreneurship, consulting, coaching, writing, volunteering, promoting social justice, and a builder of businesses. In 2020, Bill co-created the Positive Intelligence, or PQ as we'll call it, program with founder Shirzad Shemaine, and the business has become one of the most powerful and fastest growing programs available today for coaches to supplement any coaching certification and to enable them to develop a six to seven figure income. So welcome, Bill, to It's All About Skills. Thank you, Charlie. I so appreciate you having me on your show. Well, it's a pleasure to have you and for you taking the time here. And to start off, Bill, uh, let's start, let's move a few years back and, and tell us a little bit about your early background, you know, where you grew up, where you went to school, you know, high school and college. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I grew up in Santa Rosa, California, which is about an hour north of San Francisco, and I went to Santa Rosa High School. Um, I was a, a very early entrepreneur, having a paper route in the Press Democrat, uh, doing door-to-door sales and a lot of early sort of lawn care business initiatives. So that's really the, the foundations of where I get a lot of my entrepreneurial spirit was from Santa Rosa, California. And I went to college in Salem State College, or now UMass Salem, but at the time it was Salem State College when I attended. Wow. Now, when you... When you uh... When you graduated from college and so forth, what were your career aspirations? You know, uh, of what you wanted to do, and 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 tell us a little bit about the essential skills that you learned through your growing up years and through college. Yeah, so interesting. I, when I went to college, uh, the one thing I wanted when I finished college was to not schlep coffee for anyone. And so essentially, I went after some things, the critical skills that you had shared in your book, which was essentially technology. First and foremost, I was hugely interested in the internet in 1994. And when I was finishing up college, I built my very first website and I used that to actually launch and spring my career. 
And uh, I'd always had been a fan of David Ogilvie. So I did an internship at Ogilvie and Mather. And part of that was to learn the, uh, the interpersonal communication skills necessary in the advertising business and how to actually use that as a way to support my own personal growth and the growth of a lot of businesses. But because I was building websites in 1994, I was one of the early pioneers building the, uh, one of the first of the 50,000 websites in existence at that time. Uh, so I got to build websites for AT&T, MasterCard, CBS, Coors Brewing Company, um, and, and several others. And that really helped launch my career because of connecting with the production side, understanding exactly, specifically how to produce websites, um, and then using information architecture to support it. So there was a lot of really interesting things from your book that I was able to use in an early start of career. And I didn't do that because of your book. I just stumbled into it. But it reinforced <laughs> a lot of the key learnings that you teach and share. Well, from my, my perspective, you certainly uh, hit on the right things of the communications and production and technology. I mean, you were right there. You know, uh, you you mentioned an, uh, a, a circumstance uh, that may be just a little bit off the, the critical skills side. Sure. But you... you you mentioned a circumstance earlier in your life about bullying. And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that and what you did about it. I found that fantastic. Uh, and it's the kind of the black belt story. So tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my, actually one of my favorites. So, so I, you know, I got, I, I wouldn't say I got into fights when I was in junior high and grade school. I said I would get beat up. So like, you know, to, to have, to get into a fight would assume that two people were fighting. I just got punched. And I was like, one of those things, I, I went to school early. I was about a year early in school um, because my birthday is the end of November and the cutoff was December 2nd. So I literally just uh, was one of the youngest kids uh, throughout my entire class. And when I finally got to college, I thought, geez, this is great. I finally am free of all that nonsense. You know, the bullying will, will definitely stop and I'm good. And uh, I was in my accounting class and I was doing particularly well. And one of the uh, division two hockey player from Salem State College came up to me and asked, and I thought he was going to ask me for some help because I knew he was struggling in the class, but he said, hey, I need you to throw the next test. Huh. I said, what do you mean? He said, because you're screwing up the curve. <laughs> I said, well, I I'm happy to help you study. He goes, no, no, no. I need you to just throw the test because otherwise I'm going to be benched and I'm going to beat you up if you if I get benched. <laughs> I said, wow, Wait so you, you got you got threatened. I got threatened. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, absolutely. If you don't throw the test, then I'm going to, I'm going to just kick your ass. And I was like, oh my God, this never ends. Like this bullying was just never going to stop. So I went into, uh, the, in Salem State College, they had a, a, a Tung Sudo Subakdo, um, Tung Sudo Mudakwan uh, karate uh, class. And it was an elective. So I went in and I said to the instructor, I said, look, I understand there's philosophy and history and all sorts of things and technique that you want to share. I'm literally going to get into a fight like in the next two days. I need to know what to do to protect myself. And so the black belt, to his credit, asked the class for permission to deviate from the plan and to help me. So he said, look, most people are going to punch with their right. And so I need you to think about blocking with your left hand and then punching with your right. So that's like the main technique. He goes, however, that's not the most important thing. I said, really, what's the most important thing? He goes, because if he takes you out to the parking lot, you can get really hurt. So what you wanna do is make sure, number one, you're in a public setting. And number two, you yell at the top of your lungs so that everybody knows the fight's going down because eventually someone's gonna break it up. You can't get beat up too bad. I'm like, this is great. I always great <laughs> advice, right? So I come in the next day 
And he says, so are you going to throw the test today? I, I said, no. And he goes, well, then I'm going to kick your ass. And I yelled, well, then do it right here, right now. And I yelled as loud <laughs> as I could. And everybody turned. It was like one of those moments when the bar, when the record screeches, everyone turned their heads. And, uh, and he looked at me and he goes, forget you. And he, so he, just, he turned around and I said, well, then it's over. And at that moment, I just felt so free because I never actually fought. But the whole time I was ready. I was ready for him to swing at me. I knew how to block it and punch. I'm like, this stuff is fantastic. So it was the first time I ever really stood up to a bully. It was the first time I really got hooked. 30 years later, this next week, I'm testing for my fifth degree black belt. So just to tell you, like wow. I've stayed for 30 years, but that's how it started. Oh my gosh. And that's, well, you developed some skills that aren't really uh, consistent with the, uh, with the critical skills, although it's a production, you a skill, you know, you got an idea to knock somebody out. You can do that certainly with the skills you have now, but, but let's move on here a little bit. That's a fascinating story though. Uh, you know, you had a lot of different experiences on your journey from when you started, you know, back at Ogilvy and Mather and your internship and that sort of stuff until, uh, until today. Now, based on all of those experiences, Bill, what would you consider to be the major elements of your skill portfolio that you developed? And when, when do you, and, and which of those skills do you consider to be the most beneficial and important to you? I would say the interesting thing for me is the interpersonal skills. Uh, and, and I think even in the story I just shared about the fighting, you know, and sort of like the, the karate side, you know, to me, that was basically standing up for myself and being able to, to be a stand for what I really hold true and valuable. And, and so I would say that those interpersonal skills have been invaluable throughout my entire career, because in each space where I've gone, I've figured out like how to work with teams and specifically, what are the things that work? What are the things that don't work? And what I found is in my very first job out of college, like after my internship, I worked at Moda Media. And one of the things about building all these websites was I realized like I had a skill that most other people did not. So yes, I understood technology. Yes, I understood production. Yes, I understood uh, how to put all these things together. But I did not have one of your important skills, which was time management, because I was working <laughs> 120 hours a week. So I was literally the first person in, the last person out, working every weekend. I was burning out fast. I did a tremendous amount of work in the six in six months. But during that six months, when I finally left, they had about five different employees replace the one job that I'd held. So that gives you a sense of the time management piece of not having a check and balance or any type of life balance. That was a really critical lesson for me because I knew that I could not sustain as much as I loved all the things I did and the great skills that I had, not having the ability to sustain meant that I couldn't do a marathon. I was doing too much of a sprint. Make sense? Yeah. Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then over the course of this time, you integrated all your experiences together from the different, different jobs and so forth that you and challenges you faced. Uh, how did you develop such a passion for marketing? Yeah. And, and, you know, and what skills were the most important for you to have to be uh, successful in, in marketing and communications? So interestingly enough, when it comes to marketing, the reason that I got excited by it was I started out loving business. So, uh, so going back for a moment, I remember as a kid, I was, my, my parents were both music teachers. So I grew up on the lower end of middle class, like, you know, really just barely, you know, getting by. And I remember going to a really fancy dinner for my grandparents' 50th anniversary and around the table was like, you know, 
15 or 20 of our, our relatives. And I'm literally thinking to myself, who's going to pay for this? Like, yeah. it's, I'm worried about it. It's a linen napkin and my parents are not well off. And before, just as I'm having this thought, my, my uncle Ron pulls out his credit card and hands it to the waiter and didn't even look at the bill. Huh. And that to me was like, that's what I want in my life. I want the ability to grab a credit card for a large table of people, not even have to look at the bill. That was like, to me, like financial freedom. Oh my God. So that was my money blueprint. Yeah. And so I said, well, he's in business. So I got to get in business. Now he was in management, but I decided accounting was my thing. So I went through accounting. I love numbers. I love the ability to put them all in the right spaces and whatnot. That was the only electives offered in my high school. When I got to college, I thought for sure I was going to be an accounting major until I learned about tax law. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I have to go through four or 500 pages of tax law every year and it's always changing. Like, no way, I'm out. So I asked around, I said, what, what is the other side of business? If it's not accounting, what else could I do? And uh, I said, I'm much more of a people person than a numbers person, it turns out. And they said, marketing, you should check it out. So I went to business marketing. And then I also fell in love with advertising, which turned out to be a communication skill. So I used the both marketing and advertising. And that was when I fell in love with David Ogilvy. That's where the Ogilvy and Mather connection. But what I found was marketing was about psychology. And the greatest advice I received in college was, well, if you really want to get into marketing, you can either go to an actual marketing degree in business, or you can go to a psychology degree. It's the same thing. Yeah. And I was like, really? And I started learning like, okay, so basically psychology is the brain, why people do what they do. And marketing is the same thing. Why people do what they do for business. Right. And I'm like, I like that. So I can make money learning how people do what they do. So when I say the interpersonal skills, like it's much broader because ultimately what it came down to is every step of my career, I was a study and fascination with people. Why do people do what they do? Why do people buy? Why do they choose one brand over another brand? What are the analyses? How do I actually put, put any of that data into place? I mean, in 1994, we were just learning about clicks and understanding like what a click-through rate was and all that kind of stuff. But really there was a whole story behind that. Why did someone click on this versus that? I mean, it's, it's just a fascinating thing. And I, I don't wanna go too deep down the rabbit hole, but that sort of gives you the sense of why I fell in love with marketing was it's the study of human behavior in business. Well, you certainly got involved in it, and you and your passion is evident. I mean, uh, and and you're and you're really good at it. And you know, you know, Bill, you're an author too. Yeah. And you've written a couple of books. Uh, you know, tell us a couple of tell, tell us a little bit about those books. And one's called Online Promotions, and another one is a little bit different. It's called The Three Rules of Marriage. Come on, tell us about yeah. those books. Come on. So, so the first book with uh, online promotions was a crossing of the chasm book. So I just, at, get, coming out of my career um, in, at, 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 so I went from Moda Media to Ogilvy & Mather. And during, when I went to, uh, not as an intern, but actually working at Ogilvy & Mather Interactive, I learned that there was only two things that worked on the internet in 1995, 1996. And that was if a consumer was a, was a sweepstakes contest or a game, a promotion, and if it was a biz of B2B, it was a white paper download. That's it. And nothing else worked at the time. So I was like, I was really fascinated with these things. And so what I what I started looking at was, uh, okay, I knew how to do promotions. I, 
got into a company called Martin Kane. I did sweepstakes contest game engines. This was pre ePrize and promotions.com. We built all this really cool stuff. And I realized there's only two types of people at that time out there. There were people who were promotional marketing experts that knew everything about sweepstakes contests and games. And there are people who knew about the internet, but knew nothing about promotions. So the online promotions book was a crossing of the chasm. It was how do you help people who understand sweepstakes contests and games understand digital? And how do you help people who are in digital understand sweepstakes contests and games? So the idea was there. So whenever I'd hire someone, I would say, your first week on the job, read this book. Tell me what you learn. And because basically that was a level set. It was like, okay, I know now what I need to know. And that's why that book was published. And it became a really great resource in the promotional marketing industry because it really covered all the ground of everything that was known at that time yeah. and was a foundation for helping others grow. Yeah. yeah. How about the three rules of marriage? So my wife and I last year uh, celebrated our 20 years of marriage. And what I realized was after two decades of marriage, I had a lot of, of people asking me like, hey, how, how did you do it? What's the difference? A lot of our friends were and, and colleagues were getting divorced. I was seeing this in my coaching business. I had launched my coaching practice. I wasn't, I was an executive, I, I am an executive coach, but the interesting thing is when I would talk to people about their relationships, what was going on at home kept impacting what they were able to do in the office. And so I realized this was going to be a foundational piece of work that I had a secret that I wanted to share with the world, which was my parents were divorced at 12 years old. It was a very traumatic event for me. My, my wife's parents were like, when I met them, they were already 40 plus years marriage, uh, married and they were patting each other on the butt. It was like incredible. <laughs> they were newlyweds 40 years in. I'm like, so what is it? What is it about? Like, how are you guys still look, acting like newlyweds 40 years into your marriage? Now it's over 60 years. And, uh, and so what they, what they told me, my, my father-in-law said, there's three rules. And I said, wait, hold on, let me get a pen. <laughs> so the three rules of marriage was me unpacking the three most important rules in any marriage, which basically helps people identify um, what it is that's really important to them in their relationships. And then I applied it to business as well in terms of how you actually have epic relationships. So that's to me going back to your interpersonal skills piece. Yeah. You got it. You got it. And you can, you can get both these books on Amazon, I understand. Yes, that's correct. Fantastic. And now, well, you had a lot of experience, you know, not only in business and marketing and that sort of thing and, 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 uh, and with marriage, uh, but what, what, what attracted you, you to the world of coaching? Yeah. So I realized, so after about 25 years in marketing, I had built in and exited two multi-million dollar marketing businesses that I started from the ground up. And what I realized was I really didn't care about helping large fortune 100 companies make millions of dollars. Like that was the thing at the end of the day, I was really good at that. But what I cared about was helping people. So it was the people behind yeah. the brands that mattered to me. And so when I decided to exit my last marketing agency, um, I said, you know, what do I want more than anything else is to help people, help people and really support them in their journey. And so uh, I had had a, a coaching experience my, with my uh, first uh, my first company, Seismocom. And I, that's where I met uh, uh, Shirzad Shamin, who actually wrote the book, Positive Intelligence. And so yes. he actually helped did an intervention with me and my two business partners where we were literally at each other's throats. We were trying to kill each other. It was really bad. And we went from like being at each other's throats to having a phenomenal run and continuing and building the company up to $25 million, 75 employees, it was an unbelievable run. But it was because of Shirzad's intervention that really changed my entire way of thinking. 
And I realized, wow, this coaching thing has, is magical. It really is. And so when I, when I left my, my, uh, my last uh, marketing agency, I decided to pursue coaching. And as I started pursuing coaching, um, I was just feeling the joy of helping people reach their desired outcomes. That's when I went back to Shirzad and I specifically wanted to thank him for the work that he did. And he introduced me to what he was up to in this whole positive intelligence framework. And I, and I was super excited because I realized so much of what I was doing in coaching was uh, helping people really connect with the best version of themselves. And what he had developed was a whole platform around how to do that. So that was really exciting to me. That's fantastic. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get into what you did with Shirzad in just a minute, but uh, you know, you mentioned that you were very uh, interested in people and, and, and that, and you made a commitment to uh, social justice yes. and, and social action. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about why you became interested in those and, and how you took action to contribute. Yeah, you know, to me, um, one again, going through the same coaching connection here, I had uh, my own business coach that was working with a gentleman by the name of Jim Bullett out of Seattle. And, uh, and the interesting thing about Jim was that he had um, he had shared with me this whole this sort of whole person approach to living. And I, as a CEO and executive, I was realizing that something was missing in my life and I couldn't put my finger on it because I was doing great financially. I was doing great in terms of business. I thought we had a really good company. And what he really, what he really pointed out to me was that I had really lacked the charitable contribution side of my whole person. And, and so he challenged me to figure out where to volunteer and how to actually give back in ways that I wasn't at that time. And so what I did was I looked around and I thought, you know, what would really matters to me is youth empowerment. And so I, I figured the next generation can save us all. So it's like, if I can help <laughs> the youth, they can help us. Um, so I became a, a senior seminar advisor, basically running a youth group. And I've been doing that for the last 16 years now. Um, and in that time, when I started working in the, with the youth, I realized that it was um, not just what we could do together, but the, uh, the really inspiration of what the youth do in their service trips. And so what we ended up doing is every year we come back and say, well, you know, who, where do we want to put our focus? So whether we do fundraisers, car washes, you know, uh, bake sales, that kind of stuff to help um, different, uh, different organizations, every single year, three times a year, we do something called a midnight run. And that's when we put together uh, food and toiletries and clothes, and we take six caravans, six actual SUVs. SUVs into New York City and we get and we help just hundreds of homeless people and the way we do it is we give them clothes and food and toiletry all those things but what I tell my youth is that it has nothing to do with distribution this isn't you about giving stuff away this is about you connecting with other people's humanity and that some of these homeless people that are there are not treated like human beings and that their conversations with them is more important than the distribution of what we're giving them and so we started doing that and just the the, the growth that happens so exponentially with youth when they connected like, wow, these are veterans. These are people who went off to war on our behalf. And now they're literally living in the streets because they can't get the kind of health care they deserve. I mean, it's just so eye-opening to actually go out there and do it. So it's one thing from, for me on a charitable contribution stuff to write a check. I'm all about that. I'm happy to sort of help financially. But really to me, it's about rolling up my, my sleeves and getting into it. And so whether it's homelessness or I did a lot of work with uh, Habitat for Humanity, literally swinging hang hammers and trying to build and building houses, uh, any of that kind of work, to me, it's about getting into it with the very people that I want to serve. And to me, there's no greater value than seeing those contributions and helping someone in real time. To me, that's the, the real value. And you really get a thrill out of that. And you know, the 
the kind of skills that it took for you to to do these sorts of things, they, they, they're, they're the same skills. They cut across they your business skills. They cut across uh, the, the kinds of things that you had to uh, had to uh, implement in order to uh, to be successful in the passion of your social justice endeavors and that sort of thing. Well, you know, you started to mention and let's get into this now. But just a couple of years ago, you were introduced to uh, Shirzad Shermain and, and uh, you know, you co-founded along with, with him, the very successful positive intelligence coaching program. And tell us a little bit about how that came about, Bill. Yeah, so it was fantastic. So I, 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 I was, I'll pick it up where I left off. After, after I got my coaching certification and started doing coaching, I was in the Bay Area visiting my mom. Uh, she still lives in Santa Rosa and, and Sherzad lives in, in uh, San Francisco. So I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'm in town. Can I, can I buy you dinner? And uh, so I went down to San Francisco and I, it was literally just a thank you. I really want to thank you for, you know, you made such a big impression on me. You helped my business partners and I at a time we really needed it. And you inspired me to become a coach. And he said, I, I'm so grateful that that, that that happened and that that impact was there. He goes, I'd love to share with you what I'm up to. And so he actually had me do a PQ rep directly at the dinner table. Now, for those <laughs> who don't know what a PQ rep is, he yeah. said, I want you to take your two fingers and rub them together so so closely you can feel uh, you, the you're, you're, a, you're a rub finger guy you know that's how we started right oh, okay. I, I, i'm like all the senses now but at the time they was like i want you to notice what happens and i'm like oh my god i felt myself drop into my body it was really yeah. it was like just for 10 seconds i connected with my own physicality in a way that it was like a somatic connection that was unbelievable i was like this is crazy like how how is this so easy so go so quick and he said i'd love for you to be a guest and do my six-week program and i said sure and i and he said the one thing is i need you to create a pod which is part of what how the 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 learning is because you're doing it with yeah. a with a team. And he challenged me to go back to my business partners <laughs> who I'd had all these challenges with. And I said, okay, oh great, game on. So I so I went and I invited my business partners to come back and do it. Turned out they they weren't available and they didn't end up doing it with me, but I ended up doing a, a couple of other coaches that I'd worked with. And it was just phenomenal. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because from there, I immediately started using his platform. I mean, with that, yeah. I just went out, yeah. I started talking to my clients. I had them do the saboteur assessments. I started showing them what I was learning. I, everything I learned, I passed forward. And I came back to Shirazi, I said, look, I love your program, but I feel like Napster, I'm stealing your stuff. I'm literally <laughs> stealing it from you. I don't want to, but you don't have a path for me to pay for anything. What the heck, you know? He says, well, great, come help me build this. I think coaches could really use this. I'd love to see it happen. I could definitely use your support. So we got together. And in 2019, we architect, like, how could we take what he'd been doing on the consumer side and build it out as a coaching program? And we just started firing off each other. And it was just such a beautiful time of just complete, like, let's just jump off the cliff and build the plane on the way down. And that's what we did. We made a declaration, like, here's what we're doing and here's what's happening, all this stuff. And it was incredible to, because within, I mean, now we're going into cohort nine that wow. we've had literally, uh, you know, cohort eight is just finishing up their, their seven week program as we, as we do this recording and, you know, over 20,000 coaches in less than two years have done this, this program as part of our, our multi-million dollar coaching grant. And if you think about that, that's more than $20 million that we've given out to the coaching industry as a way to help pay all this stuff forward. Well, that's fantastic, and it's a great it's a great program, and and uh, one that I'm totally enthusiastic about it. And you've really you really implemented the critical skills. You had an idea, and you're taking it to reality. And in order to do that, you've got to communicate your idea, 
you got to make it happen. It's just a perfect example of the implementation of these of these critical skills. Now, now, jumping forward a little bit, tell us, give us a short synopsis. You talked about this program, this six week program. What are the what is the six week program? Uh, you know, what are some of the, the the elements of this six week program? If someone elects to jump into it, what what is it anyway? Yeah, so so it's what's beautiful about it is is that I always tell people give yourself the gift of five minutes because if you don't have five minutes for yourself, you don't have a life. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like sure. literally sure. take five minutes and go to positiveintelligence.com and take the p the the saboteur assessment. It literally takes five minutes. I'm not exaggerating. In five minutes, yeah. you can find out exactly who your what your top saboteurs are. So for me, I've discovered it was controller and hyperachiever. And the reason I'm telling you that is because there are nine accomplished saboteurs. And what the six-week program does is it helps you identify your top saboteur, which is everyone's judge, whether it's judgment of self, judgment of others, or judgment of situations, as well as your top two or three saboteur, accomplished saboteurs. Now, why that matters is because we are all this beautiful sage being. When we're born, this is who we are. When we die, this is who we will stay, remain, right? This, this idea of being right. sage. But along the way, we end up getting all of these negative self-talk that is given to us through just our experiences in life. And it's really a way uh, for our amygdala to, it's, we heard about the fight, flight, or freeze. It's a way to protect ourselves. So our brains weren't designed to make us happy. They were designed to make us safe. So once you start to understand that, like all the negative self-talk that we hear inside our brains is literally there just to try to keep us safe. So it's, it will, and, and what happens is when you start to hear the racket that we all buy into in terms of our judge and our accomplice saboteurs, we can actually quiet those voices and increase our sage, which basically is the, our true self, who we really are. And my vision in this with Sherzad is if we can bring mental fitness to the world, Imagine what the world would be like if everybody acted in sage the most of the time, the oh, majority wow. of their time. And if you imagine that, that's to me global consciousness, and that's the interconnected oneness of the planet. That's the game I'm in, right? How do we actually create that? And I think it cannot be done without coaches. Coaching industry is what can transform the world and heal the planet. And the way they do it is through mental fitness. And the six-week program is the foundation of how coaches can deliver that to the world. Wow, you know, and Bill, I think the, the thing that impresses me the most about this is that Shirzad and, and you, and I'll give you credit too, has taken something that's fundamentally based on neuroscience yes. and has a strong foundation on the building, building of neuro, neural pathways and so forth. And you've made it simple and you've made it fun and you've made it something people can talk about. And when they talk about their own saboteurs, they can smile, but they can understand it. And it's like you've taught them ways by talking about PQ exercises and rubbing the fingers. It's like taking and turning the volume down of that negative left brain exactly. and turning up the volume of that creative right brain. You've, you've done the brilliance of this is you've taken something complicated and you made it simple. By the way, that's 100% Sherzad, right? So that's his book, Positive Intelligence. That's exactly what he did. And what he refers to that as, Charlie, is, is factor analysis. Yeah. And the idea is, and I love this example, that you can take millions of colors, but if you boil it down, there's actually only three, right? And so if you understand the top three primary colors, you can make millions of colors with those top three colors. Absolutely. It's the same thing. 
right? So you can take factor analysis of all the negative self-talk and boil it down into 10 saboteurs. When you can do it that simply and understand and name it, like that's my judge, that's my controller, that's my hyperachiever. When I can do that, I have control again. I can actually sense the fact that, okay, that negative self-talk isn't me. That's just my brain trying to protect me. My sage thinks this. And suddenly it's a whole shift in terms of being the best version of myself only always. You know, I tell you, Bill, one of the one of the phenomenon that I've found out of, of uh, leading, I think, seven pods all thus far in these courses is that you start out and, and, and there are generally the very, very bright people that you're there are very skeptical to start out. Yes. You have to reassure them the fact that you're actually you have to develop habits. You have to do these irritating uh, interruptions in your day and do yes. some you, you just have to, to say, keep the faith, baby. You know, well, keep the faith. Exactly. Because here's what happens. Those really brilliant people are the same ones that are often most depressed. Absolutely. know it, but they're not doing it. Yes. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, I remember the matrix. One of my favorite lines in the matrix was, you'll, Neil, you're going to find out there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. That's it. Like, that's yeah. the answer to me. I can know what mental fitness is. I can know what I should be doing in my life. Doing it is another thing. So building those neural pathways is the repetitive nature of, of the habits we create that build our destiny. So if we want to be a different person, we have to do things repetitively on a daily basis to become the thing that we're committed to becoming. And you have to develop the habits. And it's one thing to read about positive intelligence and understand the concept and say, oh, I understand this, but you don't really get it until it. you practice it and you have to develop the habits. Well, just think about it. In 2012 was when Shirzad Shamin released Positive Intelligence. It was a New York Times bestseller. It's been sold. It's translated in over 20 languages globally. But guess what? The shift hasn't happened yet. Yeah. If everybody knew it and they read this book, like they would see the outcome. So this is where the shift has to be with the coaches. This is the distinction that we make is that, look, the practice and the daily habits is the difference. And whether or not you actually are with a coach or you're doing it on the app yourself, I actually don't care as long as you're doing the daily habits because those <laughs> daily habits themselves will create the outcome. And without that daily practice, then this is just an ethereal intellectual exercise. Where coaches do is they actually apply all this stuff. They're like, great, what are you learning? How are you applying it to this part of your life? How are you playing to that part of your life? And as they start to help you unpack the power of this fantastic operating system, you realize the more I do the simple things like these PQ reps for a few seconds, the faster I can shift no yeah. matter what my circumstances are. And it's it works. And it's an application of the production skill. You have an idea that, hey, I want to shift from my left brain to my right brain. You know, intellectually, you can do it, but actually doing it takes practice, takes practice. Takes well, practice. and even that saying intellectually, you can do it. I will argue that if you're hijacked, you can't. <laughs> like if, if I were to start calling you names and making fun of you, whatnot, and suddenly you start getting frustrated, you're not in your right brain. You're literally like in a defensive mode where you're in fight, flight, or freeze, and that's your experience. You're either going to run away from me, you're going to fight me, or you're going to freeze up. And in that moment, you can't switch to your right side of your brain. Like literally, you're stuck. So this is like, as you build these daily habits, you have tools that will help you shift because without the ability to do a PQ up, without the knowledge, oh my God, I'm hijacked. If you can't see that, 
then what's going to happen is you're going to go to whatever your top saboteurs are and show up in a very different way than your sage. And that is going to enroll the other person's saboteurs and suddenly we're at, a, at war. You know, my, I, I give you an example. My wife is a surgeon and, and uh, sometimes when she's uh, confronted with difficult problems, she does just shuts her eyes and does a couple of PQ reps. And quite frankly, it works, Bill. It works. Yes. So how, how, uh, so someone is listening to us and saying, yeah. what, what are these guys talking about? How can I find out what my saboteurs are? And uh, who, what is this stuff anyway? How can someone do the assessments? Uh, yeah. that, and you said it's going to only takes about five minutes and it does. Yeah. How do you, how does someone do this? It's front and center, positive, positiveintelligence.com. So just go to positiveintelligence.com and click on saboteur assessment. There are literally two assessments on the website. Right. The saboteur assessment is one we're talking about. There's also a PQ assessment, which basically tells you a score. So some people like numbers, yeah. right? And so it's like, well, how positive are you? Well, let's look at a scale of one to a hundred, you know, answer those questions. It's a second five minute assessment that can help you see like where you are in your own PQ um, uh, lineage, right? So that can be helpful. But the thing you and I have been talking about is the saboteur assessment. It is right. so insightful. And I have not had one person yet that I've sent to take the saboteur assessment come back and say, oh, this is garbage. This doesn't, this doesn't make me. In fact, nine, nine out of 10 times I hear, oh my God, you nailed me. How can in five <laughs> minutes, how can you nail me? Like, it's like, you know me. And that's, what's crazy is that these assessments, like you're answering the questions and you're, if you're being honest, it like what comes back is like a mirror whether you like it or not, it's such a reality of, oh my God, this is why I'm tripping myself up. This is why I'm not getting the results that I want in my life in five minutes. Yeah. So worth it. <laughs> hey, and one thing, one thing about it's free. This, yeah, it's free. That's one thing you got to understand. It is free. Uh, and and uh, a piece of advice for someone who takes these assessments is go in, answer the questions quickly. Yes. And be honest. You don't want to game the system. There are no right answers. If you go in and be totally honest and answer these questions quickly, you'll get a good assessment of who you are. And quite frankly, if you take the assessment a month later, it might be a little bit different depending on what kind of day you had the day before. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. The answers are relative to what your experiences are. But the interesting thing is, is that while things might flip-flop a little bit, generally speaking, when someone goes and looks at their own saboteurs, they recognize them from like a very early age. Most yeah. people's saboteurs show up in their childhood and they never really leave them, which is why this is so powerful because you're like, oh my God, I instantly recognize this is me. Yeah. And how can I, and, and the fact and the truth is, it's not you. The sage is you, always you. <laughs> but these saboteurs make you feel like that's who you are because that's the negative experience you have. But then when you realize I can control that, I can shift that, I can get out of those positions, it is life-changing because what it does, is it frees you from that negative self-talk. Imagine if you just didn't have that little negative self-talk in your ear all the time, it just changes your entire life experience. It you does, know? and you can turn that negative volume down and turn up the right side. Well, Bill, looking back and so forth, uh, suppose you were going to go back to your high school and give a uh, commencement address and you finished the address and that sort of thing, and you were going to sum everything up by giving these students a couple of uh, two or three pieces of sage advice. Uh, what would those, what would those things be? You know, it's so funny. I love, I love that question. 
there's so many parts of this trying to distill stuff down is like life wisdom. I used to always say like, you've heard the statement that the youth is wasted on the young, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's so when I realize I sit back and I look at it is, is that um, when we stress out about these, the things that are in our life, we're often looking at external circumstances. I think the best thing I could ever do is encourage people to just be. That's the essence of a sage, the beingness, not the doingness. If I were looking back at where I was in high school, it's do, 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 right? There's all yes. these doing this. So it's, you know, I have to go to college. I have to get a job. I have to get married. I have, whatever it is, right? All the doing this of life. And that takes us away from the beingness of being the best version of ourselves. So yeah. to me, the whole point about it being a sage is being who you were when you were five years old, when you were a little kid yeah. and you didn't have a worry in the world. Who are you then? That's who you've always been. That's your that's your little golden Buddha. That's your 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 sage essence self. Connecting with that is the most important thing you can do for yourself. Because if you show up as that that essence, that spirit, that sage, like everything else will will figure itself out. It will because you know what to do when you're in your sage and you're not sweating all of the little details and all the little doing this things that most people spend their life fretting about. When you can let go of those pieces and really be the best version of yourself, you realize just showing up is enough. Literally, you and I right now, being in this moment together is enough. Yeah. The audience we serve, great. I'm happy we're doing it. But this moment in time is you and I just being the best version of ourselves. That's it. That's it. And that's, that's sage advice, if I can <laughs> use those words. That's <laughs> yeah. our stuff. <laughs> so, hey, Bill, thank you so much for being our guest today on, on It's All About Skills. Uh, we re- really appreciate you taking the time this and congratulations on your on your venture with Shrizad. And uh, I'm all there with you to make that successful. And I'm a, a devote follower of, uh, of, of you. So now as for me, you know, I'm an internationally certified career coach and I specialize in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crises. And you can get in touch with me through my website, charliejetcoaching.com, or on our positive intelligence platform, podcastpq.com, or in my blog about critical skills, it's called criticalskillsblog.com. So I want to thank you all for listening today, and we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on... It's all about skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.